Revenge of the 80s Kids has been rated P for podcast. if he only expressed himself through the words I am Justin in that order I don't see any point at that you can read that on Wikipedia if you just want to sum something up in a quick sentence exactly let's stop quipping and get to whopping this big boy's candy metal ass ah excellent <laughs> Is getting serious. Um, I think we're quite excitable, I think, as we, we leap onto things and rip them apart. <laughs> I agree. They specified this monster to take us on individually, but he never counted on us working as a team. 80s Kids United! <laughs> felt a thrill of the old 80s kid combat force. Uh, then again, I did eat an entire bag of pick and mix myself for breakfast. Maybe it's just some kind of diabetic fatigue taking hold of my brain. Guys, really, you're all terrific. The problem wasn't your performance, really. That was great. Great green tennis ball and a stick work. Some of the best I've ever seen. We do need some, uh, you know, a kind of a bed of kind of harpsichord music or something. It needs to be, you know, or or whenever you get a, can you put in like a flash of light or a lightning bolt whenever we say something profound and crazed. I'm sorry, Justin. What was that? I'm talking about this film. I lost the time up. Move on. Does he have to do that? He's very committed to his roles. Him being method hasn't ever been a problem before. I wouldn't enjoy doing this. If it was all very efficient and it was all over in like you just said precise points, because that to me is like not what it's about. Well, I guess this is as good a time to bring this up as any. I'm sorry, Justin, we won't be needing you anymore. The studio has decided to go a different way. 
So why would you do that when you can have a, a, a dodgy camera and, you know, some furniture moving around? Totally. Never were truer words spoken, mate. That is a massive steaming parlour. Yeah, you just can't fire Justin. If he goes, we all go. Well, that won't actually be a problem, you see? Well, you're all fired. That obviously didn't work then, that strategy, did it? What? This is outrageous. How can you make an 80s kids movie without the 80s kids? That's the thing. The studio has done some focus group testing and we've decided that joyful and exuberant action hijinks aren't really very... now. They've decided to go with a new, grittier take on your characters. It's sort of a more youthful reboot, hoping to hit it big with a demographic that loves child death matches, sparkly vampires and general misery. That doesn't sound very good to me. The studio is 100% behind this new approach. Over the weekend, we did some tests in a found footage style that's trending virally across all social network platforms. We call it Hashtag Grimdark 80s. The 80s force. It's, it's surging through my veins. The pain is unbearable. You have to go through this. We're the only ones who can defeat Grimbay. You don't get it. I don't care about Grimbay or the world. He killed my entire family, and I haven't had a chance to probably grieve. I just want to hold up in my room, blogging, and listening to the newest Mop Pope Core MP3 playlist on my fruit-based media player, available from fruit-based media stores intellectuals in your city now. We've all lost people, Ian. Justin's only been dead five minutes. Feels like my heart has been ripped from my chest, and only the support of my 8,000 chitter followers will ever fill the void in my soul by pressing the thumbs up icon next to my posted 144 character micro poem and showing me that in their own socially retarded, isolationist, low attention span way, they care, at least for the next six minutes. Justin? No. The grim radiation has altered my DNA. My very physicality. I'm cursed now to inhibit the body of a young woman for the rest of my days. Or at least till I reach the age of 30. When I may as well be dead anyway. But look on the bright side. At least you're totally hot. Well, don't get any ideas. My sexual preference hasn't changed after all. Because that's fine in this day and age. So you can just accept me for who I am. Altogether, the wider society is bound to victimise me for my sexual orientation. My heart goes out to you. How will you manage? I'll be fine. I'll just create a YouTube channel to vlog about my experiences. And, of course, post footage of kittens. I'm going to buy. And you all agree, guys, that this is definitely a move in the right direction. Guys? Guys? What are you looking at me like that for? Where did you get those knives? Guys? You know, it's not a case of just this is a bit crap and this acting is a bit poor. It's like real suckers, rich, awful, why the hell did this get bad? In, in a way, then they're fascinating. 
And of course, I think what Justin is trying to say there is uh, welcome to Revenge of the 80s Kids. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, uh, Justin is uh, still having some problems with uh, both his out of context remarks and also uh, his gender identity after that reboot. So uh, he'll be back with us as soon as he can. But uh, joining me today, as ever, is Ian. And uh, we're going to be talking about, like, well, you probably guessed from the opening skit, but we're going to be, and probably if you read the description of the episode from that too, we're going to be talking about uh, films so bad you can smell them coming. Uh, Ian, what was the last film so bad that you saw that you could smell it coming, you know, maybe even from the foyer? Smell it coming. That's tricky. Well, I went into Ron, a 47 Ronin with actually a, a degree of like, this could be interesting and was quickly crushed. Terrible, terrible film. So sad. The, the story is potentially interesting, but this made it so tiresome. It's a film I wanted to get a remote control out and fast forward it. Yes, yes, yes. So the uh, strange Westerner has been adopted by the, you know, Japanese lord and he's got a crush on the on the daughter and she's got a crush on him. But it's terribly angst and there's a misunderstanding and he's blamed for something. Oh, fast forward, fast forward. I've seen this somewhere before. I think that the last film that I could really smell. I think I had a similar experience actually to what you just described with uh, Max Payne. I mean, most people didn't really think it was going to be good, but I kind of went and thinking it might be all right. Also, there's an amazing special effect shot in it of a gigantic dark angel flapping his wings. I thought, I've got to know what that's all about. And then I was sorry that I had because the shot is great, but the context in which it's used is terrible. Uh, but of course, uh, the, we're discussing uh, these movies uh, or this type of movie after the announcement uh, recently that uh, Doctor Doom in the new Fantastic Four movie. I mean, this is just the latest event in this. What what could uh, charitably be described as a, a shitstorm and might uh, more profanely be described as something rhyming with uh, Duster Duck. Um, <laughs> yeah. Doctor Doom is no, he's no longer got a PhD. He's now just Doom. And he's no longer called Victor Von Doom. He's called Victor Domashev. And he's a hacker. Uh, and, and the thing that's uh, suddenly occurred to me on talking about this today is that as there's four of the Fantastic Four and they're now taking on an uber hacker, the new Fantastic Four movie could be an under the counter remake of that most 90s of 90s movies, Hackers. So yeah, so that's something going in. It's f- oh no, wait, sorry, no, that's not going. In. I, I, th- I think it's, it's fact, that well, it's just that old maxim. You've changed it so much, you might as well just call it something else and not have it. What's the point of associating it with the with the former? Because you clearly despise it as cliche or something. Yes, well, that's the thing. I mean, the one thing, right? The core, the rotten core at the heart of this entire debacle. Hmm is the fact that people are going, well, the Fantastic Four is a particular thing. It is, uh, you know, it's fun science adventure with a family against cheesy villains. That's the, your Doctor Doom, Victor Von Doom, uh, ruler of Latveria, who is like a larger-than-life character. The whole thing is one of the most cartooniest of cartoons. It is that that is what the Fantastic Four is. And if you make the Fantastic Four not that, then it is no longer the Fantastic Four. That is the that is the big problem. There was a series, a television series to diverge slightly, uh, which obviously I think 
you, did you see this? No Ordinary Family. No. Uh, it didn't do very well. Uh, it was heavily involved in it was Michael Chiklis, formerly of The Shield fame, but also formerly of being the thing in the Fantastic Four movies. Mm-hmm. And I think what he thought was superhero shows are doing quite well on television. I really get behind the family ethic of Fantastic Four. And I think we could do kind of a low-key Fantastic Four. And if I was going to think about it really hard, then the thing I think that made that show ultimately fail was, again, that problem that in order to do a sort of family science fantasy or superhero uh, show, you need a fun family that you actually enjoy, you wish you were a part of the family, which they didn't do. And I think the villains do need to be utterly ridiculous, like really over the top. And that kind of brings it all. Instead of which, they did a kind of mildly dysfunctional family. They were trying to be, you know, realistic and stuff. Although, mm. in the end, they all came together through the power of love. And, you know, familial bonds. And that, you know, it, mm, yeah. So it's like, well, what, what are you going for here? And the villains were just forgettable. And that's the thing. I think that is the one. I think that's probably the key, is that if the villains are forgettable then the family really has nothing to gel it. That that a family enemy has to be big, which I'd never really thought about before. But I think if you're going to do a family story, the enemy has to seem huge to give the well, to be fair, we don't know what Hacker Doom is going to be like. Maybe he's going to be an awesome villain or something. But it's it's the whole. It's the whole thing of why call him Doom. Why not go with a completely original villain for the first film and then, you know, hold back your Doom for the second film or something? Are we going to have a recurring hacker villain? That's going to get tiresome I'm, after a while. I think this is, I think that's one of the things that, uh, uh, you know, the, the latest wave has really, you know, because when Spider-Man, the original Spider, I mean, Spider-Man's a great, character to do a movie of because so many of his villains are iconic it's a bit like batman in that respect batman has a good enough gallery of iconic villains as long as you don't put you know two or three of them in the same movie at once like nobody ever has uh, yeah as long as you don't do that you've got quite a long gallery before you start to scrape the bottom of the barrel there's no need to start off with someone who's completely you know, or who's quite obscure. Despite that, Nolan did do Ras al Ghul and the Scarecrow first, which is like, okay, whatever. But then that made it easier to make a film about, you know, Batman, as opposed to who the villain is. Uh, so you don't want to go streaming straight in with the Joker right away. Yeah, and Spider-Man starting with the Green Goblin is fine, but Marvel have taken a kind of different view on this that uh, the only one who really gets a, a big front and centre villain is Thor. I suppose the Captain America one does as well, because Red Skull was the original Captain America, and he is the war. Well, he, he's, the, he's the origin story villain, and you can't do Thor without doing Loki. Um, I mean, I think... A better example may be the sort of the sort of the Star Trek thing. You sort of establish your characters in the first film, and then you hit them with Khan. You know, uh, but but that didn't really work either. I mean, Star Trek is a completely different proposition. No, no, but uh, no, but it's a, it's a it's, it's, I'm thinking of more of the original uh, Star Trek too. It's just the fact that you know, there's you've, you've established your oh, tunes, right. and now you can get you've established your characters, and now you can get excited because now there's coming someone's coming along who you know is going to give them a Titanic 
punishing uh, for the next film. They're going to be properly tested with a with a with a villain so big he has a gravitational influence before he even arrives. Yeah. So I mean, that's well, definitely. There's. I mean, I think that. Um... Because I mean, that's, I think this is one of the hidden secrets of why Iron Man was so big. It's because Iron Man has only one uh, notable opponent, one or two. You know, Crimson Dynamo, the Mandarin. That's about it, really. Iron Man's villains are not, you know, remarkable in that sense. Uh, and so when they went, mm, Iron Munger, that'll do. It was like, yeah, that was fine. That was perfect. And Iron Man films can be about Iron Man because every one of his, his villain counterparts is, uh, an interesting, it, 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 Iron Man battles kind of ideas and the people who represent those ideas are not as important as the idea of what Iron, Iron Man is always fighting himself to a certain degree. And that is fine. That's worked out really well. But yeah, you, you, Marvel are very much, you know, like, I mean, if you think of the Winter Soldier, even the Winter Soldier didn't really take part in that movie. The villains were quite nebulous and Marvel are not afraid to do a movie because they're like, no, our character can stand up. And I think whenever they say, you know, we have to pull the big villain, it's because they all they just assume that you need it or they don't feel confident enough in the hero to stand on their own two feet mm. so yeah so i mean yes so yes going straight to victor von doom and then not going to really do it. i mean that's the thing it's a combination of all the worst things you can do you're doing like the characters but you're changing them all you're changing the tone completely you're giving them the biggest villain but you don't feel confident in that villain so you change that as well it's like where is the confidence in any of this what are you confident in no, like I, they're I, not I, well the best i can think is they're trying to go for everyone knows the standard fantastic four setup what's our fresh take on it what's the fantastic four of the modern world we're not interested but, in strange dictators from foreign lands anymore we want a cyber villain or something like that yeah and i think that's a i mean the problem this is one of the big problems where you've got a character who's uh, largely abused uh, in these ways is because they are like well Sometimes you don't ever actually get to see that classic version that you wanted to see. Mm. You don't get to see it, and so you you don't want the alternative. You don't want yet another different variation on it. Can we not just settle down and do the thing? Well, I mean, I this is one of my it's safe to say that there has not been a definitive doom yet. Yes, this is. I mean, you know, it's ironic that the closest that they've come is the Roger Corman one, who is totally cheesy and over the top. And that's that. It's kind of like if you did that with quality, like with real quality, and you really committed to you know gigantic gleaming armies of doom bots and all this kind of stuff, it would be. And I think this is what it is. The studio keeps failing to do. You know, Galactus, he's hiding in a giant cloud of smoke, and all of this kind of stuff is because they're like, well, it's just going to look a bit stupid, isn't it? It's like, well, we've just learned this year that the idea with things that may look a bit stupid is that you must embrace that stupidity and blow it up, turn it up to 11, and then there is a chance people will go with it. 
But, you know, this is the, the film equivalent of someone being self-conscious and how they're all like, mm, I'm self-conscious, uh, don't look at me, uh, like that. And it just makes people more noticeable. And it doesn't make you like them. People, you, you know, it doesn't, there's nothing likable about someone very obviously acting out in a self-conscious way. And, and when a movie does it, it just makes it detestable. There's nothing worse than a self-conscious movie, a movie that is ashamed to be what it is, which is, in fact, a criticism levelled very heavily at this year's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles yes. uh, reboot. It's that I, it was too ashamed to be a Ninja Turtles movie. The kind of, we, 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 saw, we, we all have a bad feeling about the Fantastic Four movie. We think it's going to do. We think it's going to be an awful Fantastic Four movie. We also think it's going to bomb, don't we? We think it's going to bomb. We think it's going to be. We don't just think it's going to be an awful, awful Fantastic Four movie. I mean, if if you're looking for a grain of confidence in this project, the one grain of confidence that ever seems to come out is that everybody always falls back. And you can tell what the thing they're really hoping is, uh, which is I would be very scared if I were the individual concerned here. They keep. They would say, "Oh, well, we've done this, and we think this is a really exciting, fresh, new way of approaching it." And you go, okay, what's that? Then that's terrible. That doesn't sound like a good idea at all. And they go, oh, well, shut up, because we've got the guy who directed Chronicle, and everybody liked that. So, And that's what they always do. They always back down to, we've got complete faith in Josh. He directed Chronicle. He's doing this his way, and it's going to be the same sort of thing. Now, despite the fact that, actually, I think most people are lukewarm to Chronicle at best and thought, well, I think Chronicle is one of those movies. It's like a lot of people went to see it or got to see it eventually. Some people do really like it because some people like everything. And most other people are like, oh, that was better than I thought it would be. Saying something is better than you thought it would be is not the same thing as saying it's good. Yeah. And the yes. problem is that I think this had this kind of word of mouth. The, a mediocre movie that's had great, like, w- relatively great word of mouth, because what people always think to say about Chronicle is, it's not as bad as I thought it would be, whereas I actually hoped it would be a bit better than it was, so I came out there going, well, that wasn't very good at all. No. Do you know what I mean? It just, yeah, yeah so I don't think that that's, uh, I don't think that's necessarily a, a, a great ringing endorsement. Plus, if I were Josh Trank at this point and I was reading all the press, it's like if this does perform as well as I think it's going to and you think it's going to as well, uh, I, mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, you think it's going to bomb, right? Um, it has baggage of the previous Fantastic Four movies, which isn't helping. Which is probably why he's, it's, it's become a kind of allergic reaction. We have a, a, we have a lupus. We have an overactive immune system reaction to redefining the Fantastic Four. And I think in this day and age, people want to have the definitive Fantastic Four movie, really, rather than our fresh new take. It's, it's, it's not Sherlock Holmes. We don't have to reimagine it yet. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I, yeah, I, I'm totally, yeah, so basically you say, yeah, on balance, you think it's, I mean, we could be proven wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure it's going to do badly. And if I was looking for someone to blame after the fact, I'd be coming back to all of that pre-publicity and every time it goes, we've got complete faith in Josh. Josh is doing what he does and it's going to be great. And if it fails, it's going to be like, that guy's never going to work again. <laughs> He's gonna be, he's gonna be in McDonald's sweeping the floor. Oh. By the end. That's harsh. Because it's, because it's, well, because 
that's all they've got going for it. And if it, fa- I mean, this is the point. It's a nonsense to say that one person can make or break a movie. They just cannot. Doesn't matter if they're the director, the pro- well, actually, the one person who stands a chance of doing it is the executive producer because they control the purse strings and get, and because they control the money, they get to give as many stupid notes as they want. So the only person who can actually make or break a movie by themselves is the, is the person who controls the budget and, and, and does not know their place in apportioning the money to the creatives. Yeah. And that's the only person who can. Uh, other than that, a director can't, an actor can't, you know, like uh, the Green Lantern debacle, yeah, which we're not actually talking about as an example of a film people smelled coming, because I think there were a lot of hopeful people with Green Lantern that thought that it would, would be okay. Yeah. Um, but after the fact, there was like, oh, Ryan Reynolds, which, and I, I, you know, I'm going to, you know, put my hand up here. I like Ryan Reynolds. I think Ryan Reynolds has good things about him, yeah? I don't think he's the best at finding the right projects to be in. And the reason I like him is because when he has wandered into the right projects to be in, he has been pretty good. But sometimes he just doesn't do, you know, he just doesn't, he doesn't pick wisely. And uh, Green Lantern, I think he was so desperate. It's a bit like um, Samuel L. Jackson in Jumper. Samuel Jackson wanted to be in one of these things like uh, like The Matrix. He wanted his, you know, Morpheus moment. And he was cobbing about for a long time before he got to be Nick Fury, just doing things like, ooh, uh, Mace Windu, yeah, that's going to be mine. No, that was rubbish. Ooh, Guy in Jumper, oh, no, that was rubbish. You know what I mean? He just, yeah, no, he, he just, uh, he was trying to find that role and he went through duffers by the tongue before he got to be Nick Fury. And yeah, so I mean, it, it, Ryan Reynolds took Green Lantern and may have ignored a less than brilliant script for the reason that he wanted his Batman, Spider-Man, Iron Man well, moment. Well, super, superheroes were in vogue. He was he was on the right bandwagon. He was just going in slightly the wrong direction. Yeah, well, it, I think the wrong direction is anything that DC has its sticky fingers it, on. It, they are cursed, it has to be said. And Marvel uh, can do so, no yeah. wrong, apparently. But, uh, yeah. yes, but casting our eyes over, we're saying we, we're saying we can smell this one coming. There's a precedent for smelling these ones coming. There's certain films that have come along and you just look, just look at the poster for them and go, how did this get green lit? How was well, this yeah, ever were, a good idea? No, well, it's a bit weird with Fantastic Four, just to uh, say, because Fantastic Four has the potential to be a good movie, you know. People have loved the Fantastic Four for many years, and therefore you could make a good Fantastic Four movie. It's just all the stuff they're saying where, you know, actors are blithely coming out and going, yeah, the way we treat superpowers in this movie, it's kind of like disabilities, and we're just learning to cope. What? Oh, yeah, the director told us that what we were doing was not going to be based on anything in any of the comics. So, no, I haven't read any of the comics because the director advised me not to, and I chose to follow that advice. Do you know what I mean? It's like, the you know, it's one thing to sort of get it wrong. It's another to walk up to some license that you've got, put it on the floor, take down your trousers and drop a big Cleveland steamer on it before... It's just, it's just awful. 
It's like, why would you do this? So what? it's not so much the concept of the movie that is, but sometimes it is. Uh, I mean, one of the classic famous keeping it in the world of comic books, although not, you know, straightforward ones, Howard the Duck. Yeah, you do look at that and go, how did anyone ever think this was going to be a good idea as a movie? Yes. It might be a great comic book, but in the 80s, you know. Yes. That's just, this isn't the world that Let's get a wants. small person and put them in a suit, a little duck suit. That's going to look great. Yeah, and, 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 yeah, I mean, Howard Duck failed for a number of reasons, but they were all pretty obvious reasons that anyone with half a brain could have, could have seen. Uh, I mean, I think there were other ones like Triple X State of the Union. You won't, I mean, or whatever it is, they call it Triple X 2 at first. So even if you call it Triple X 2, well, the only way that you do that is Vin Diesel in Triple X 2. Yeah, that's fine. But as soon as it's Ice Cube who was announced, the only reason they got greenlit is because they could replace the Triple X agent and they replaced it with Ice Cube. You were just like, why? no. Yes. Why? Yeah, why? Why, why do that? Why? If not, uh, so. I mean, yeah. I think it's triple X, it, it, it was a Van, Vin, Vin Diesel vehicle, so to speak. So, uh, it's like we're gonna do the sequel to that Van Diesel film without Van Diesel. Okay. You guys keep well, instead. Yeah. Oh. I mean, you know, you know the story of triple X. I mean, it's bound to come up in a year show eventually, but. I might as well clear it, was, it out of the way it was now. Originally a Bond rip. It was a Bond. Yeah, basically, thing. someone, uh, uh, what is it, MGM or whatever, woke up one morning and went, "Oh, that was a great party last night. What did I do? Oh yeah, there was hookers and there was uh, blow and uh, that guy, and he convinced me to sign a document which signed away the rights to make a James Bond movie. Oh my God! Um, and you know, and they basically got it back by saying, well, we'll give you the right to rip off James Bond in a way that would otherwise be lawsuit-worthy, but we're not going to complain. You've got to... It's enshrined in law. You can rip off James Bond in whatever way you see fit. And so what they did was Triple X, which is a classic James Bond movie without James Bond in it that's trying to be all edgy. I mean, weirdly, Triple X came out in, like, 2003. I mean, we haven't got to it yet, so it's sometime in the next couple of of 2000 noughties years. But that is surely one of the most 90s characters you could possibly imagine. Yeah, he does like fast cars and snowboarding. He's extreme. I mean, he's like the death rattle of the extreme movement. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, therefore Triple X itself didn't do great. So why anyone thought, hey, we'll make another one with a, a you know, fat X rapper as the, the hero. Yes. To a it film is, that was immensely disappointing. He was not even in shape, is he? This is the thing, anyway. Triple yeah, X. I mean, just a, a whole thing. I mean, you know, that's the thing. I mean, they came to me after that and said, Leo, we're going to do Triple X3, you're in the frame. Yeah. I said, you know what? I can't in good conscience do it. Pass the chicken. Do you know what I mean? It's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's just, yes. So, no. Um, what, what else have we got here on, on the list that, um, Oh, Hard Rain, which is a film I find it very difficult to believe that anyone... I mean, I can see that people might have had maybe two minutes of thinking it might work before, you know, saying, we're not making this. It's like people wading around in water up to their waists <laughs> yes. in a rainstorm... 
doing an action movie rather slowly. I mean, I, we haven't put it on the list, and it probably did bomb box office wise. But that Whiteout movie was exactly the same. Although the difference with Whiteout is it did have a, a you know a moderately successful indie graphic novel to give them false hope that this might not be a terrible idea. But surely, you know, at some point in the project, you're like. You know what? There's a lot of people clipping themselves to ropes in a blizzard in this movie. I've noticed that that's the majority of raw footage that we've got. I'm not thinking people are going to want to see that for an hour and a half. You know, that's what always defeats me. The point when people think, this is probably a bad idea. Yes, it doesn't quite Uh, have the visual impact we're hoping for. No, I mean, you know, uh, we've got a basic instinct came out in what, 1991 or something? Yeah. At which point Sharon Stone was in her late 30s, right? Now I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, I like Sharon Stone as well. I thought she got a raw deal. I think she could have been in a lot more projects doing a lot more interesting work and she happened to be in Hollywood at a time when they couldn't cope with that and i think that time is extended today one day in the future there may be a time for a sharon stone type character to be part of hollywood that wasn't it so why the hell in 2005 so when she's you know knocking 50 they thought we want to make a really sexy exploitation basic instinct too with sharon stone in it it's like it's a you know, t- it's, it's a time difference thing. It was such a long it's such a long while afterwards. I mean, if they made it like ninety five or something, at least you could feel there was some momentum because everyone knew what Basic Instinct was. There was so there was kind of a brand recognition, I suppose. But it was it was infamous for bad reasons, surely. It was infamous yeah, I mean, for crossing and uncrossing and her legs. Thing, yeah, I mean, I mean, the other thing about it is that what it tries to do is do like a, a basic instinct exploitation style movie, which kind of calls for a femme fatale in her mid to late thirties kind of aspect for it to work because it's meant to be quote unquote steamy in a kind of, you know, exploitation softcore kind of way. And when you've got an older woman, that's not the kind of thing that you, you concentrate on. We've got recently a series called American Horror Story. American Horror Story is is the brainchild of the same people who did Glee. Yeah, so on the one hand, you've got Glee, and on the other hand, you have one of the most profoundly disturbing uh, television series ever to be made. And it's an anthology show that recycles the same cast members. So every season is a new story, but they have different... They, and, uh, they have the same actors playing different characters in that story. And one of the uh, return actresses is Jessica Lang, who, who's an older lady. But the thing about it is, it seems that these two guys, and I, I believe I'm right in saying, I'm dancing on thin ice here, um, and the wife who is sitting next to me is is much better placed to tell me about this because she's probably read into it. The two guys who do Glee, are they not? Uh, they are they are gay guys, are they not? As far as I know, yeah. Yeah, as far as we know, we think they are. At least one of them is, maybe both of them are, we don't know. But they basically, these two gay guys have found a way in working with an older actress to make that older actress into a sexual being where people don't go, ooh, granny shagging, ugh. Oh, my God, yeah. she's sexual power. Yes, she's got a lot of sexual power. Yeah. 
And it's like, that's a film where you could put Sharon Stone in a film and she could do a similar. She's not as old as Jessica Lange. So working up to it, where she could be manipulative and controlling and just fill the screen. Basic Instinct 2 was not going to be that movie. And so, yeah, where that came from, I don't know. And I only mention that because I'm just saying it's possible. It just none of these elements by themselves make a movie bad. But somehow when you say, you know, it's like, <laughs> I suppose it's like a recipe where if you say, oh, well, you take this vegetable and onions and then custard powder uh, and then you sprinkle on a little bit of dog feces. And, and you, you like as you start to get, you know, things start to go wrong. And that's what it is. I don't think that any movie inherently is going to be bad. It's just you start to see the way that they're adding the layers and ingredients together. And that adds up to, uh-oh. <laughs> Having said that, I'm not sure that there was anything that was ever going to save the Blues Brothers 2000. Blues Brothers yeah. 2000 is an interesting one. You know, because it's, on the face of it, it's like, why, why do it, guys? We've lost one of the brothers. That's your first hurdle right there. And, and you were saying that blues is not a big thing anymore earlier, Leo. Uh, yes. So there's your two first hurdles where you start. It's been quite some time since the first one came out as well. Uh, so there's all your hurdles. So uh, it's odd they put the additional hurdle in there of it actually being a pretty terrible film to boot. It, it's 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 hard to understand why this got made exactly. I think the guys just like singing with each other. I think that's what it boils down to, and we had to go along for that. Well, that is true. Uh, Dan Aykroyd is a, he likes to sing blues and they like to do blues. And, and I suppose it was no skin. I think that's where it came down to. There's no skin off their nose to make a, a movie and court try and cash in. And it just didn't work. I think that's possibly why it's more forgettable than renowned for being bad is because it wasn't really too much of a problem to, to make it. I mean, there is also the other thing of, um, when you say, yeah, I mean, when you say, well, it was also an awful movie when you got there. And to a, a certain extent, it's bad uh, when it's a bad movie after it's had the bad build-up. But I think it's almost worse when, there's not very many of these, but I would count John Carter as uh, an example of something people could smell coming. It bombed at the box office. And then, you know, give it a year. And all of a sudden, all the John Carter enthusiasts are all lamenting. Uh, 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 film, like that film. Never going to see another one now. Like that. And you're like, where were you? Mm. The problem is drowned out by all the people saying, huh, we could see that this was going to be a turd. And it was. But yeah, I mean, to be fair, in the you can smell it coming category. I'm looking at the list mm. that we've got. And I don't think that many of those arguably cloud atlas that's another one where it's like why did anyone think it would be a good idea to make this it's like yes book remarkable wins awards but well it's okay it's because uh films have the biggest audience reach of all the media that we have uh no one ever says that was a great film i can't wait for the book to come out do they well you might but you're that sort of person but uh Everyone, they read a book, they see a series, they can't wait for the film of it to appear. They start dreaming about it. it. I think back in the 1970s, they had a sort of a right thing, which is that they said, wow, this here is a great book. Couldn't make a film of it. I think that Dune, which didn't do very well at the box office, I don't count it in this category of film 
because I think people want, wanted it to be good. They were pulling for Dune. I know that even at the time there were a lot of people who were very well disposed towards Dune and they wanted it to be fine and it wasn't. So there was no atmosphere around it of it being, there was hope. But the one thing that people kept coming back to even at that time was it's very ambitious. Mm. Very ambitious. And that's the thing. There were certain books that people would be like, you can't really do this. The advent of CGI has meant that the word can't has been redacted from the Hollywood dictionary. <laughs> you could do theoretically whatever you want. The thing is, though, but is that a good idea? Uh, Dune falls down in length more than anything else. Because it's like they do the first half of the book and then they just kind of quickly skim over the rest and there's the end. Uh, there's so much material that has to be dropped from Dune. Uh, I think that's the, half the problem. The miniseries, which I've seen, is all right. Because you at least you have the time there to tell the story. Um, what was the... How do we get to Dune? Uh, it was... Dune was come from Cloud Atlas, where... This is a book that in the part, in the, if, they, if Cloud Atlas had been written in the 1970s, they'd have just said, you can't make that into a movie. It just, you just couldn't do it. It'd be too expensive. And even if you spent all that money, it wouldn't look very good anyway. It'd be one of those, because they used to have top 10 books that will never be, are not filmable. And, and in fact, from 1979, well, from a bit before, to be honest, right up until the mid-2000s, there was actually like a little hobbyist thing of trying to make films of books that people had famously said you couldn't film. For example, The Naked Lunch. <laughs> uh, but people are kind of given up on that because now you can make whatever the hell you want. Well, in terms, of, in terms of spectacle, yes, but you still only have two hours or whatever, or maybe you're ambitious, we'll make it a three-hour movie. You've still only got a finite amount of time to cram it all in. Yes. Whereas a book has as much time as you like, and you can enjoy it as in, at the speed you want. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you've got these distinct divisions. There's, I, I mean, you know, that's an interesting conversation for another day. The redaction, reduction of the word can't from, you know, these conversations. And as you say, just because visually you can do whatever the hell you want doesn't mean you have the power to communicate whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, humility needs to come back to Hollywood. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And also being a bit subdued with the CGI, like it's ever going to happen and bring the budget in a bit, guys. It doesn't need to be that big. Uh, should we, should Having we... said that, uh, people are smelling Jupiter ascending from the foyer at this moment, and I, I am alone, screaming into the dark wind that is like, I think it might be okay, you know. No one else thinks that, but you know, including the studio. I think because the Wiskalskis aren't held in the same esteem they once were. You know, they got big ideas, films, but perhaps they don't always communicate the ideas uh, as as well as the, perhaps they could have been. Uh, but always ambitious, thoughtful ideas. But yeah, that's the thing. It's it's they are always reaching beyond their grasp. And if you're in town for that, which this is the thing, it, it actually annoys me now that you've come to mention it about people, cinema goers. If you go and watch, uh, let's just pick on Bayformers again. And you go, oh, lazy spectacle. And you're trying to make excuses for a lazy spectacle. Well, okay, if that's what you want to do. But then the thing is, when somebody, when they come in and you look at the associated materials, you know that someone has stretched 
stretch their, their very boundaries of thought and concept and art and everything, and they've fallen over. You, nobody gives people credit for that. Nobody gives people credit for overstretching, despite the fact that what happens with overstretching is, I mean, Cloud Atlas is a remarkable movie. However flawed, deeply flawed it is, it is remarkable. But nobody's like, yeah, we should give it some credit because it's remarkable. But on the other hand, they go, hey, don't get down on mindless spectacle because, you know, that's what people want a bit of fun. I'm like, well, I think people may, may worry it's going to be a ponderous film, flatly acted, I think is what people are worried about. Well, Cloud Atlas definitely doesn't fall into that. That's not one of its faults. Uh, that, that's certainly, I could say. I mean, uh, Jupiter, won't, won't... Jupiter Ascending, I mean, sorry. Um, oh, well, Jupiter Ascending, that it's going to be uh, cheese and cheese and cardboard. I think that rather comes well, down not, to... Not, not cheese one... and cardboard. I think there'll be big, big sweeping ideas behind it, but it'll, it will seem flat, I think is what people are worried about. Well, I, well, no, because I, I, where I come from, cheese and cardboard is, you know, you've got Meg from Family Guy, who, as an actress, is actually quite cardboardy, come to think of it. And then, but, and that's, you know, that's, she's a bit nothingy. Well, that's fine. Sometimes, as we've discussed in the past, having a woman who is quite overwritable in the main role is sometimes a good thing. Sometimes. But then Channing Tatum actually has a little reverse thing of a fan club. He's one of those. There are many people who, in fact, come into this category of like many actors who have the reverse of a fan club. They have a group of people who go out of their way to knock that person down. And Channing Tatum has that. And then he does have some people who are like, I think he's all right. But there's, oh, I can't stand that person. You can tell the people who are really bad, like Sam Worthington, yeah. because I'm the, the the sole member of the I hate Sam Worthington. Because most people are just like, uh, uh, can't be bothered. Well, well he's, I don't, he's, I don't he's not anything. interesting enough for me to form an opinion about. Exactly, and that's why I hate him because it's like he's there's nothing there. There is nothing there. He's place, he's placeholder lead actor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Your actor here, whatever. Uh, if someone is, you know, good stroke bad enough for people to have actually formed some kind of trenchant opinion about that person, that's a good thing in my mind. In my mind, that is a good thing. And, uh, there need be no greater Example of this, the Nicolas Cage. <laughs> you know, the man, some the man people, has had sketches made about the fact he'll make any old crap. Yeah, you know, oh, but it's not just that. It's like some people just really hate Nicolas Cage. They really hate him. And it's like, it's, it's hilarious to a Nicolas Cage fan because you're like, well, yeah, what you hate is the Nicolas Cage-ness of Nicolas Cage. And if you are, on the other hand, in the happy position of being a Nicolas Cage fan, even when he makes something dire, at least Nicolas Cage is in it. You know, the bees, the bees. Let's not it's go there. Like, Actually, oh, Wicker Man remake is a perfect example. If there was ever a film that did not need to be remade, it was the Wicker Man. Remakes are pretty iffy. 
generally speaking, in these circumstances. I mean, yeah, uh, RoboCop remake. You've got Robo. We've got RoboCop three on the on the list because uh, that bombed and it was something that where people were kind of getting. But yeah, even that doesn't eclipse the the horror. You know, I, I guess that's interesting. We have often picked up what's in the news, and this year, 2014. You know, we did our summer review and someone was, you know, generally passable. But when we do the year review, this has been the year of the you could smell it coming. <laughs> like Robocop, Sin City 2, just all of this stuff. 47 Ronin in this country got shunted into this year. So I'm counting it. You know, there's lots of films that came out where you're just like, how did how? people not see this coming? Yes. I mean, uh, Evan Almighty is, is a great example We've seen Bruce Almighty. We saw Bruce Almighty together. We came out the other end going, Ugh. but fair enough. They want to make a sequel to it, they, and they get some other guy in because presumably Jim Carrey realizes he's he's far too good for this stuff anymore. And uh, we have Evan Almighty, and the, and the twist they did, the spark of the idea that came along was, hey, how about he tells like this guy called Evan to build an ark, Evan Almighty? You can see the gags coming now. He's got, he's got to save a park full of animals or something, hasn't he, when it floods. Or I, I, I assume that's what it is. I'm just going by the poster. I look at it and go, no, I don't want to watch this movie at all in any shape or form. How does it get greenlit? There's other films like that as well. You just look at the basic components they're offering you and you go, what? Crocodile Dundee in LA? No. Maybe if it was the 90s, but right now, no, definitely not. The ship has sailed. Ship has sailed, gone to the port, and now it's come back again. Yeah, I mean, I want to pick on uh, as well while we're here. Uh, I got swept away in the list, but it suddenly occurred to me that there's a there was a film earlier this year, and I can't even remember. It was a historical biopic. Wallace Simpson. It, it was called W or something, or Mrs. W, or I don't know. I can't remember. It was Madonna's biopic of of wallace simpson anyway and swept away basically there are certain directors and it, it cannot be avoided you know uh shyamalan these yes. days uh it's a kiss of death madonna uve ball they're just allowing them to direct something would appear to be a bad idea generally speaking like, why are you letting this person direct this movie uh there are writers that are attached to that make film fans. This is the thing. It's very hard to be the kind of a writer that actually causes a film to bomb. Writers get away with it because apart from the hardcore of film enthusiasts, who knows who a screenwriter is? Well, it's also the you fact know, that screenwriters have so little power these days anyway, it's hard to blame them for it. If you go around, um, you know, anywhere and ask, who, do you know who Damon Lindelof is? Most people say, I've got no idea who you talk about, and I have never, ever partaken in a media experience that involved a man called Damon Lindelof. And then you go, did you watch any of Lost? Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah, okay. Did you watch Star Trek, the new one? Yes. Either movie? Both. Right. Damon Lindelof. Blah! <laughs> but, yeah, people just aren't generally aware. So there, the, I think there it has to be a special thing. I mean, many people don't know film directors. You know, you go, uh, I mean, just last week on Commode and Mayo, uh, someone wrote in and their second name was Mulcahy. And Mark Webb said, like Russell Mulcahy, who made Highlander. And Simon Mayo did that noise. It was like, hmm, 
which is like, you are a film geek and you know stuff that nobody else knows or cares about. Yeah, that's what that whole meant. That yeah, does, that's not right. I mean, directors in film have a certain s- standard of recognition. In many ways, like it's like knowing who made that song, as as far as you know, film buffs are concerned. It's the information you naturally retain. But actually, I mean, if you took the same person and said who recorded Kung Fu Fighting, I would think more people would say well, Carl Douglas. Ex- exactly. Than if you said who directed Ghostbusters, because most people probably think it was Bill Murray. You know what I mean? It's like, that's the remarkable thing. Or, you know, if they were going to be like, oh, uh, it must be a really famous 80s director. Was it Steven Spielberg? They'll just go. There are certain names that you conjure with. And, uh, you know, Ivan Reitman is not one of them. So that's the thing. So, yes, uh, names can be warning bells as well as they can instill false confidence. Actors, script. Basically, I think what we've kind of coming on, the smell coming off something is a combination of badly cast actors, badly chosen directors, badly chosen scripts. You know, like you you get this, uh, you know, it's very Star Wars. I've got a bad feeling about this. Yes. Uh, Even the essential ingredients of the pitch seem to underwhelm you. Yeah, and I think that, well, and that's the point. I think what the reason I started, and let's finish where we started, the reason why I wanted to go into Fantastic Four is because the smell coming off this thing, it's like, you know, someone killed a bear and left it in your attic over summer and then sealed off all the vents. And then you walk into the house in September. That is how bad this thing smells. I think it is a contender for the smelliest upcoming stinker I have ever encountered in the history of cinema, which makes it a remarkable movie just for that. I think that possibly, and I don't know because I wasn't really paying attention due to not being very old, but I think Superman 4 might have had, you went to see it at the time. Uh, but you would have been very young, obviously. Did you get that Superman 4 was going to be bad as a child? Uh, probably not, no. In hindsight, it's it's bleeding obvious that, you know, guys, we, we've just done a Supergirl movie. Now you want to go back to Superman again after all these years? Why, God, why? Uh, to, uh, to further a little conspiracy, I have spoken to Clive Mantle, who was the other supervillain who was cut from the movie. And he's, he was very much of the mind that there were some shenanigans going on back scenes that, you know, uh, so there was kind of a thing of someone had the rights, they made the movie and then rights reverted to somebody else because it bombed. There was not a lot of will for it to be a good movie going on. But certainly, yes, the, uh, the iron was cold. Uh, I think, I think, you know, Superman, of the 70s was was kind of awesome for the time but now it just looks so old and creaky and he doesn't look right in that costume anymore somehow and my goodness the plot an anti-nuclear message i i'm guessing this is because christopher reeve wanted to do an anti-nuclear film and wanted to use superman as a platform for doing that and even drafting back in gene hackman didn't help it's a preachy idea that the bad guy's bad because you know he's nuclear Here's a, here's a, a fun trivia fact, uh, fan, for trivia fact fans. 
you know that the second ever episode of the Wonder Woman TV series starring Linda Carter, the plot of the second episode was that. So after the pilot in which site and this is where Wonder Woman comes from, that the first thing that Wonder Woman ever did in the series was defend a nuclear power company from a bunch of uh, crazy hippie, tree-hugging hippie eco-terrorists in South America who were trying to stop them opening a nuclear power plant. So she was defending the people building a nuclear power plant in the second episode. Hey, yeah, you know, uh, there is there is an argument. Nuclear energy is green because, look, we're not releasing any carbon into the atmosphere. Well, yeah, I mean, we're not here to debate the pros and cons of it. It's just I, my, I thought yes. it was just a pretty hilarious thing that the Amazon warrior, uh, you know, nature-loving goddess was uh, being pressed into service to... Uh, Big up that nuclear power. Get <laughs> electricity. I just, no, yeah. Second episode. So yeah, you know, uh, so, but I mean, yeah, even with Superman 4, I wasn't really there. I was too young to be there. I would have been what, around 10 or 11 or 8 or 9 or something in that period. I would probably, would have heard it's terrible. So, you know, I was aware. Yeah, I remember that. I forget what program it was, some sort of children's morning entertainment program. But there was a, a kid who got to see it, and he was being asked his opinion of it. And he was like, "Well, the ends of it kind of is that it?" Uh, and that's pretty much sums it up. Is that it? Is it over? Okay. I, I think we should probably uh, just uh, have a like sort of a, a little moment here, just to uh, uh, give an honourable mention to those films where the reason that they got a stink before they came out is because of some horrendous stories off the set. I'm looking at you, Waterworld and Heaven's Gate. Uh, Heaven's Gate, in particular, Michael Cimino like essentially became. There's something romantic about how bad Heaven's Gate is because Michael Cimino like essentially took the cast hostage and the set hostage and refused to, and he was like, you know, you don't understand my vision. Give me more money. Send me more money. Like this to make this movie. It's just this idea of this guy who's been driven mad by his art into this solipsistic world where he sees money as like, you just send me more money and I will produce the greatest movie. This has happened, you know, but never on such a big scale as Heaven's Gate, where the, the film goes rogue. You know, I think that's a, that's a, just a crazy situation going on there. Uh, that hasn't happened thus far with the Fantastic Four. In fact, I think the Fantastic Four has wrapped. So that's the one thing, the one bullet they've dodged is this idea that the production itself went rogue and started eating the budget. But that's because, of course, the director only shoots in a found footage style on, and it's all lo-fi, as they keep saying. That's just terrible buzzword to say. Yeah, we're doing the lo-fi Fantastic Four. I was like, oh, yeah, great, thanks. Um, but yeah, I still, I still nominate it and still see it as the film people could smell coming a mile off. And, you know, maybe in several months' time, I'll eat my hat. I mean, the sad thing, the really sad thing, about this whole debacle is that I am going to have to try really hard to miss going to see this terrible thing. Because I think we're going to have I'm to so, now so you can probably moan about it on our podcast. Well, exactly. It's like I'm so down on it. I've got to see it just to have an opinion on it. It's like I've stopped, you know, saying, 
isn't gravity terribly boring? I've stopped saying that because I haven't seen it and until I can't say, no, this is a really dull film until I've actually sat down and watched it. And it's like this great millstone around my neck of not having watched it because everybody says how uh, fantastic it is. And Interstellar, I think, is going to be exactly the same. I'm like, isn't it really boring, though? Um, yeah, it does so, feel like it's going to be a bit ponderous, doesn't it? Um, but, yeah, that's a different topic. That's a topic where films that everybody else seems to think are fantastic that you're like, mm. so I think as we've wandered into that arena away from this idea of, of swear, we, you can smell the 80s kids coming again next week already. <laughs> the fog of, oh well, what will probably be a discussion about, uh, television of the 2000s, I think, uh, is, is, is coming now soon. And, uh, until that, it, it manifests in all of its glory, uh, if people want to, uh, berate us, for uh, not smelling some movie or tell us about their experiences smelling a bad movie before they even saw one second of it on the screen, uh, where might they go to tell us about that, Ian? Well, one place you could go to tell us that this episode was going to suck and you knew that the instant you saw the title and what the subject was would be our Facebook page, which you can find on Facebook forward slash Revenge of the 80s Kids. And that's 80s as in numbers, 80s. Uh, please go there and like our page. It is our community hub. We put up links to a podcast there, as well as links we find interesting. But podcasts are what it's all about. And for those who want to point your browser towards 80s kids, and that's 80s as in letters, so E-I-G-H-T-I-E-S kids dot podomat dot com, please go there and subscribe to our podcast using the podcast aggregator of your choice or download to your PC for dark reasons of your own. Uh, but this is only where our most recent podcasts can be found. For the legacy of our podcasts, you must go to... At the all-new look, www.leostableford.com or, or blogspot.leostableford.com or whatever that is. Anyway, leostableford.com will get you to the place you want to go. And uh, you will find there uh, archival materials and all sorts of other stuff at the moment. To the degree, in fact, where that archive I keep talking about might be something that becomes a more pressing concern in the coming weeks and I suppose I have the capacity to do it now as well. So, you know, watch this space. And uh, Justin's not here, obviously. But if he was going to, in context, tell you where to go uh, to see his stuff, it would be at justinwyatt.deviantart.com. But uh, to see sort of stuff that he has drawn in that place. Uh, but we are now off uh, to do, uh, you know, to, to let our noses recover from the stink of the movies that we've been talking about. It's not often that, I mean, one thing I would say as a final thought is I'm not necessarily going to, I mean, I wanted to mix it up a bit. And, you know, I quite like John Carter, for example. I love Cloud Atlas for its you know, just the way it is, and so on and so forth. So, you know, I'm glad that we managed to steer clear of just, you know, bashing. I mean, we've spent most of the time bashing a movie we've not seen, you know, which is not something that you do. But what we're really talking about is the phenomenon of of it. You know, everybody's doing it, so we're just, you know, going along. If they jumped off a cliff, we would too. Isn't that right, Ian? I have no opinion at this stage. I really, I have so many bad movies, I just feel depressed. Yes, so uh, uh, so that we can work that through our system, we're going to go away to our, our fortress of solitude and hope that Nuclear Man doesn't come in to pay a visit. Bye-bye. Farewell. Farewell.